Welcome to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shearer, and my guest is Colton Pond, VP of Marketing at Truve. Colton, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me. It's very good to be here as well. Tell us a little bit about Truve. Yeah, absolutely. So here at Truve, we're focused on unlocking the power of consumer permission data. Currently, the data that Truve has comes from payroll providers as we provide the safest and most reliable API connections to payroll accounts. So that enables use cases such as verifying someone's income and employment for a loan or, or for a background check, switching someone's direct deposit. So if I switch my bank account from Bank of America to KeyBank, easily switching my direct deposit over and other use cases such as paycheck link loans and earn wage access. But in the end, it's it's we built out these direct uh, API connections to payroll systems to both read and write from those systems on behalf of the consumer and are very passionate about the consumer permission data movement that we're experiencing. So your customers are financial institutions. Our customers are financial institutions, fintechs, background screeners, and then anyone that does lending, mortgage companies, personal lending, auto lending. That's where our customer base sits today. Before we jump into our topic, tell us about a memorable marketing moment or, you know, something interesting you've learned either recently or throughout the course of your career. I have one experience and it relates to like my personal motto in life of get shit done. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, one thing you mentioned when we first met was on my LinkedIn profile, it says get shit done. Last year, there's a large financial conference called Money 2020 that's hosted in Vegas every year. About 20,000 people come down to Vegas for this conference. And in my prior job, we thought about how can we make a splash here at this large conference where every vendor in financial services is at. And what we actually did is we partnered with one of our customers and we rented out one of the restaurants right at the entrance of the exhibit hall. And we brought people in from all over throughout the conference into the restaurant for the two days that we had the entire restaurant. And we hosted just around 300, just over 300 meetings in a period of two days and was a crazy amount of work. But at the end, it was cool to look back and see all that we were able to accomplish and like all that we were able to overcome and, and the impact and, and momentum that we were able to make. And I've taken that experience and said like, hey, how can I apply this to other aspects? There are things that we do in marketing that are very difficult. In the end, even as a head of marketing as myself on the executive team, Times you just got to roll up your sleeves and literally get shit done, right? Especially if you're on the executive team, right? Sets a great example for everybody else. 100%. One of my biggest things I've noticed of good leaders and, and poor leaders is good leaders aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves and lead by example and like actually execute outside of just providing the strategic vision for the organization. Now, our topic today is creating communities around content. And I think that's something that you know, most content marketers would say like, well, yeah, that's something that we're interested in or something we try to do. But what does that actually mean? So let's just start right there. When you say we want to try to create a community around our content, what does that mean to you? I think that a lot of content marketers have an idea of what they want to do, but in a lot of B2B organizations, it doesn't truly come to life. So I think of it, about it creating a content strategy around communities in two main pillars. One, using the community to co-create content. And if you think about it, if you're co-creating content with your community and your community is your target audience, that content is going to resonate significantly with your target audience, right? And then second, it creates an automatic distribution channel for your content, whether that is content to capture demand or to create demand, but it automatically creates that channel for distribution. What does that look like? How do you do that? 
Yeah, great question. I have a few examples I've been thinking about and how we're thinking about it at True as well. A couple of external examples, actually. One of my good friends is a CMO at a place called EDIHR. They specialize in payroll systems for small businesses. And they noticed that the small business HR community is pretty disparate. And generally, if you're a car wash and you have a HR team, you have one HR representative and they kind of do everything, right? They have to be a jack of all trades. So what my friend Garrett did that was I thought was brilliant is he created this community of small business HR professionals. And the community kept growing. And the purpose of the community was how can we co-create content? So what they started doing is creating an encyclopedia of small business HR. So they would reach out to members of the community and say, hey, would you like to write on something you're passionate about in HR? And they've noticed that this community, then they're willing to write about it because they're very passionate about it, helping other HR business professionals. But also it creates the ability for these HR business professionals to get an understanding of an area of HR that they may not be experienced in, but their boss, the CEO is asking them to go figure out. Another good example in the fintech ecosystem is a company called Fintech Today. I'm good friends with two of the founding members, Julie Greenberg and Jordan Greenberg. What they did is they created a community and it was outside of a business, but they created a community of fintech professionals to where they could connect. They noticed that fintech is a relatively small ecosystem of folks that have been in fintech for a long time. And they created this community. They created a Slack channel for people to engage and understand what fintech events are coming up, what fintech jobs are posted, what's the fintech news and like, how can we create discussions through the Slack community? Julie hosted a podcast where she'd invite fintech leaders to come and talk about pressing issues. They would do a news article, blog, and all the traditional channels, but it was always co-created with members of the community. It was Julie Greenberg or Jordan and a member of the community talking about something that was pressing within fintech. And that's a lot about how we're thinking about it at Truve, is how can we create a, a community of fintech leaders, fintech and financial services leaders that's around co-creating content that's mutually beneficial for the category in the industry at large. Our focus is on consumer permission data, and we believe that data is the consumers and should be permissioned on behalf of the consumer to various entities. And our, our thought is that there's a lot of individuals in fintech that are very passionate about this and how can we create this community and then co-create content that's beneficial for the category not necessarily immediately beneficial for capturing demand for truth. I like this concept a lot and in no small part because, I mean, that's what we do too. In fact, this very podcast does that thing. I mean, we're co-creating content right now as we speak. And I think, you know, I'm a little biased, but I think podcasting is a really great way to do that, but certainly not the only way. So let me ask you this. What is the benefit of co-creating content in this way, as opposed to what we might call the more traditional way of, you know, your team kind of in-house creates a bunch of stuff and puts it out there without collaborating, you know, with the intended audience? What are the benefits of working with your audience and collaborating on content? There's two that I can think of that are really apparent. One is scale. At a, especially at a small startup tech company of less than 100 people, and there's a lot of companies out there that fall into that, that world, you don't have the scale to go hire a team of five product marketers and five content strategists to go actually write the content that you need. Every single day, I receive multiple slacks from members of our sales team saying, hey, I need this piece of content, and I need this mm. piece of content, and I need to this piece of content to sell this effectively, right? The scale is a big thing that, I mean, my, my friend at EHR, he talked about, we, we thought about building out this team of content strategists. And then we said, why don't we just 
create this community and, and use it to truly scale. And they never would have been able to generate the amount of content that they have without it. The other aspect is a lot of companies in the B2B space struggle with product market fit, especially early and understand how does our product resonate with the industry at large. This automatically creates that product market fit and allows your message to resonate because it's coming from your target audience. It's not coming from you and your perspective. You help mold that based on the competitive landscape that exists uh, for your product or product category, but your community and target market is creating that content. So it is going to resonate within that community because it already was created by that target market. Two great points. I can think of at least two other, you know, possible benefits, but, you know, and, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. So one is it's just a great way to get to know people, you know, from a marketing perspective. I think we have found here at Conversa, it's a lot easier to get a guess if the proposition is, hey, would you like to come be a guest in my podcast? And we'll give you a platform to talk about your business and all that. That's a much more enticing proposition than can we have your time to talk about what we do and see if you're interested. And and I'm the same way. I mean, I get, I'm sure you do too. I get emails all the time like, hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time to talk about how we can help you do X, Y, Z? 99% of the time, maybe even 100, it's like, no, because I don't know you. But every now and again, it's like, hey, would you like to be a guest in our podcast or we want to interview you for this article. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds more like a discussion and you're not trying to sell me something. So yeah, I'm almost always going to say yes to that. It's a good way just to connect with people and get to know like in in a non-sales way. And then two, I think there's an argument to be made that it can create better content because instead of, it's not just everything coming from your own head or like your own in-house bubble. Like you said, you're reaching out to the very community you're trying to connect with and getting a really wide variety of opinions and just ways of thinking that you otherwise wouldn't be privy to and that you're literally using that to create your content. And it's just going to make it more diverse, more lively, more engaging, I think. What do you think? I love your first point, Jeremy, because a lot of people that don't come from B2B don't fully recognize this, but B2B buying cycles are relationship-based. Your product has to be great, right? When the product evaluation happens, but you're not even going to have a foot in the door or a seat at the conversation table unless you build relationships. Creating this community enables you to build relationships with target decision makers at organizations that are a good fit for your product. And, and that's truly kickstarts the buying cycle. And you, you have to build relationships that are based on trust. I mean, that's kind of the point of building the relationship is like, oh, you're no longer just a stranger trying to sell me stuff. I know you a little bit as a person and someone who knows their shit, you know, and if you're creating content with someone, you can demonstrate by actually following through and then creating content and putting it out there to round back to what you said up front that you actually get shit done. You do what you say you're going to do. It's a great way to demonstrate that right up front as a way to start off a relationship. It kind of automatically helps build trust, I think. I completely agree. Yeah. And I, that's why the, the strategy from a, using communities to build content really resonates with the marketing strategy we're pursuing. You guys have had some experience with podcasting, right? We have had. We do have a podcast currently kicking it off the ground right now, but yes. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, what the podcast is about and sort of what it means to get it kicked off the ground, sort of the process you've gone through to come up with the idea and get it started and all that. 
I would say right now we're revamping a lot of how we think about it. Um, the podcast is called Seeking the Truth. It's all about bringing financial services leaders on to be able to talk with a member of our executive team about pressing issues in the financial ecosystem, whether that is consumer permission data or other topics, but pressing topics that financial services leaders are thinking about every day and trying to understand how to solve. I think about the podcast as one channel or, or one aspect of this broader community. Folks generate and consume content through various different channels, whether that's Slack or a blog or a newsletter or podcast being a big part of those because you can have real conversations with folks. And that's how we, we think about our podcast is like a fundamental aspect of our community that we're building of these uh, financial services leaders. In your opinion, what is it that you'll get from a podcast that's maybe different or, you know, that can complement the other ways in which you're partnering with people to create content? I love the real conversations that happen on podcasts, right? Like the real genuine off the cuff conversations. If you write content, you have time to really think about it, right? Which can tailor and alter some of the thinking, sometimes make it better, but honestly, sometimes make it worse because you overthink it. I love just the genuine conversational nature of podcasts and uh, how it creates really genuine content to be able to consume. When I used to go into the office, my prior employment, I used to always listen to a podcast. I would listen to a, a B2B marketing podcast every day on the way to work, right? And there's different target audiences that you can touch at different moments. Yeah, I, I think a lot about just the, the nature of conversation, like the conversation we're having right now. It's not totally spontaneous. You know, we met before and talk and I sent you questions. So we did quite a bit of upfront planning to at least know what we're going to be talking about and sort of give it some parameters. But within that, we're just talking now. There's no script. And I think that's good in all kinds of ways. It's fun. It's spontaneous, like you said. And I think the part of the value of spontaneity is that as you're talking, you can discover ideas or uh, refine ideas in a way that's different from if you're writing a blog post, say, and it, that's a lot of sort of thinking inside your own head. Like, well, what is it that I want to say? Also a very, very valuable process, but it's usually singular. I used to, like writing is, is a, you do it on your own talking like this it's like the meeting of minds and you're not sure what's going to happen but often if you're good at conversation some really good interesting things can happen yep i completely agree and that's that's one of the reasons why podcasts when it came into true was going to be a fundamental component of our content strategy and our strategy to build a community i certainly love to hear that as a as a fan of podcasts and a big proponent so that's awesome that you guys are doing that Wrapping up a little bit, what would be your advice for, you know, listeners who hear this episode and they're like, yeah, this is a great idea. We want to start doing more of this, creating content with our audience, with our community. What's your advice for marketing teams as a way to get into that? So I have two aspects. One aspect of like creating content and advice for creating content and two around creating the community and how to really kickstart creating that community. On the creating content, I've been thinking a lot about this as we hire a head of product marketing over here at Truve, and I've interviewed probably over 100 people over the past month for the role. And what I've noticed is in the B2B space, you get folks that will focus on, that come from the B2C space, and a lot of their thinking revolves around the end consumer, right? And then from the B2B space, you get folks that come just from B2B, and they think, oh, only about let me sell to the business decision maker. Both are fundamental in your content strategy. 
you need to be able to talk to the business decision maker because that's the person that you, you need your message to resonate with, but with the end consumer in mind, because that's how they they think through problems is how to solve problems for and my end consumer. And I think as much as our content strategy can encompass both of those, then accelerates uh, what we're doing from a content strategy perspective. The the other bit of advice around creating communities to kickstart it is I've found tremendous success in finding key influencers uh, within an industry and getting those influencers or micro-influencers to advocate on your behalf and advocate on your community's behalf. So when I, when I joined MX just about three years ago, I did not come from fintech, did not come from financial services. And I, I asked around, I said, who are the biggest thought leaders in financial services? And I'd love to build a relationship with them. And I was given three names, Jim Roos, Ron Shevlin, and Brett King, and uh, John Maxwell, four names. And I went out and I proactively reached out to them and I built relationships with all four of those people. That's helpful for you to understand the industry, the ecosystem, and they have a breadth of knowledge. But getting them to promote your brand and getting them to promote your community then creates a level of credibility around the community you're creating that folks want to be a part of. And they know the content in that community is going to be beneficial for what they're trying to do. Well, thanks for all that. Thanks for a great discussion. I think that we demonstrated a little bit of what we were talking about, how you just start talking with someone and, you know, on a topic that you're both interested in and good things can happen. So thanks for making those good things happen. Really enjoyed our chat. Of course, really appreciate uh, bringing me on the show, Jeremy. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.